Well, good morning, church. It's uh, a privilege this morning to open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5 to continue in our study in this book. I, uh, I hope that you were with us last week because the section we're studying this morning sort of only makes sense as it follows what's already been said. So if you were with us last week, we were looking at the idea which is sort of central to the book of Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest and that he is in the order of Melchizedek. He's sort of set this up. He's going to talk about it a little bit more, but there's kind of an aside that happens in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 through 14 and sort of continues into 6 where he stops and he says, hey, you know, there are some things I want to say to you, but I can't quite do so because there's a, there's a problem. We're going to talk about that this morning, but before we get too much into the text, you know, as I was prepping this sermon this week and in preparation for what God would have us to look at and study this morning, uh, there was a, a video that showed up in my inbox this week and, uh, I, I felt like it ties so so well with what we're looking at. We don't always show videos or whatever, but uh, many of you are familiar with the work of OC United. It's a great organization here in our city that we have the opportunity to partner with. It's doing all kinds of incredible work in our city for those who've been marginalized and are hurting. I, wanna, I want you to watch this video about a new program they've got called uh, Jobs of Life, and we'll sort of tie it together later. Take a look at this. Homelessness in Orange County is a front page issue. According to the 2017 point in time count, there are almost 4,800 individuals experiencing homeless in Orange County alone on any given night. As I drive along the freeway and see all the homeless people there by Anaheim Stadium, I was angry. And I felt convicted about being angry. To me, it was just a symbol of our society's failure to take care of all people. But then I said, what would Jesus do? He'd be down there with the homeless people, uh, caring for their deepest needs. In August, OC United launched a Jobs for Life program at the Orange County Homeless Shelter called Bridges at Kramer Place, where we engage unemployed and underemployed men and women in training, mentorship, and preparation for a lifetime of work. The results are men and women whose dignity and self-worth are restored. Hi, I'm Mike Carmen, and I am the director of Jobs for Life through OC United here in Southern California. So we're here at the Orange County homeless shelter called Bridges at Kramer Place, and we have started tonight with an eight-week, 32-hour course that is called Jobs for Life or Powered for Life. And we have a group of students that we're going to walk through this. They are paired with mentors or champions who are going to walk with them personally, not just for the eight weeks, but for the next 12 months, encouraging them as they get on their feet and get settled in their lives. And then we also connect with the business community. We have men and women who are business owners who are willing to partner with us to provide job opportunities and interviews for those who graduate from Jobs for Life. I've been coming over here the last four weeks just starting to talk to people. and It's just been really eye-opening to me. So as a mentor, I like the idea that we're going to walk with them after the course is over. And then after those eight weeks, I think we're going to know who they are pretty well. And we'll be able to say, we as an organization, I as an individual, vouch for this job candidate. And we're going to be walking with them for the next year. So I'd encourage anyone just to, like I did, just come down and hang out and just get an idea and see if God is uh, stirring your heart to work in this area. We're looking for mentors, volunteers, 
businesses, and donors to unite in the efforts to serve the most vulnerable in our community? The answer is you. Such a cool ministry, and there's a lot more we could say about that. But before we even talk about the video, we'll come back to it in a second. The text is calling us in a very provocative way to really look at our lives and our hearts. In, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, right out of the gate, he says, about this, we have much to say. About this, we have much to say. And so that immediately sort of points back. You have to kind of back up a little bit and get a sense of what he's already said. He's been talking about the priesthood of Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 5. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The writer then says, I've got a lot of things that I want to tell you about this. And that's helpful because if you're like me, you hear a paragraph like the one that immediately precedes it. And there are probably some questions that sort of get sparked inside. There are a lot of things in that paragraph that comes just before that are a little confusing. I have questions about how it is that Jesus, who knows everything, learned anything, right? How does he learn about obedience? I have questions about how the Lord Jesus, who is perfect in infinity and sinless, was made perfect. I have questions about what it means to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And the writer is saying, look, I know that I'm talking about deep theological things. I know that I'm talking about things that probably make you go, ah, I'm interested to know more about that. He says, I got a lot to say about it. So it's good that you might have your questions. I got a lot to say. And he will expand on it in the chapters ahead. But he says, the reality is, though I have much to say on this subject, it's hard to explain because you become dull of hearing. This is interesting. He says, it's hard to explain because you become dull of hearing. That's not necessarily the kind of thing anybody likes to be called, right? Nobody wants to be referred to as dull of hearing. I remember uh, when my son Hank was really little, uh, there were some things about Hank that made us think that maybe he had, uh, maybe he had a little bit of a hearing problem. So for instance, Hank, if you know him, uh, has from the time he was little, he's always been the kid who talks louder than ever. He doesn't really have an inside voice, you know what I'm saying? Hank sort of has an outside voice. He's a loud talker, which is one of the great things about him over time. But when he was little, I mean, he was a really loud talker, so he thought, well, maybe he doesn't hear very good. And then that was sort of coupled with the fact that he tended to... Um, he tended to refer to words in kind of his own way. So like, oh, we'd be playing Marco Polo, you know, you're, the game where you're in the pool and one guy has his eyes closed and he's supposed to say Marco and then everybody else says Polo and that's how you figure out where they are. It's like tag. And we'd be in the pool with Hank and when he was just a little guy and, he, and everybody else is playing Marco Polo and he'd be going, Marshmallow! Marshmallow! And we go, hey man, what, why are you yelling marshmallow? And he's like, we're playing marshmallow. And we're like, no, we're playing Marco Polo. And he's like, no, we're playing marshmallow. You know, it was like, didn't kind of get, he used to, he'd come to me and go, dad, I hurt my finger. And I'd say, I'm sorry, what did you say you hurt? I hurt my finger. And I'd say, you mean your finger? And he goes, no, my finger. And I'm like, that, that's, again, that's not what that's, that's not called a finger, right? That's a, there's an F at the beginning of that. You know, it's like, yeah, finger. And I'm like, Oh man, the kid's got problems. He used to, um, he would take and, uh, he would take and substitute the first consonant sound in any word. And sometimes he would just sort of arbitrarily replace it with an H. So whatever the word was, he'd replace it with an H, which most of the time was no big deal, except in those moments where Hank wanted to go to 7-Eleven and get Slurpees. Uh, when, 
when you're with other people and your young son says he wants to go to the store and get Slurpees, but he doesn't, you, you get what I'm saying. It's a little problematic, right? We, had, we certainly had friends who sort of went, hey, what's wrong with your kid, right? Uh, so at one point we take him, we take him to the ear doctor. We said, hey, we think maybe our son has some hearing damage or he's got some hearing loss. We want to do whatever we can to try and help him. We want to prepare him for the future. If we got to get hearing aids or whatever, we want to do that. And so we take him to the hearing doctor and, uh, and they run the test and the doctor comes out and he goes, well, I got good news and bad news. You know, and you're like, what, what's the deal? And he goes, the good news is your son has perfect hearing. It's perfect hearing. In fact, it's like the equivalent of 20-20 hearing. Uh, he hears everything perfectly. And we're like, oh, okay, well, what's the bad news? He says, well, he's choosing what to listen to, right? He's being selective in what he chooses to listen to. And he's saying the words the way he's saying them because he just doesn't want to say them the right way. Like that is something he's decided to do, right? And there's not much you can do. There's not, no way to fix that, right? He just decided to sort of be slow in hearing, to sort of be dull in hearing. The writer here says, there's a lot I want to say about the work of the Lord Jesus, about his redemption on our behalf, about his priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. I got a lot I want to say, but it's hard to teach. And here's the thing. He doesn't say it's hard to teach because the content is so deep or because the content is so complex. It's not that it's hard to teach because the material is difficult to comprehend and it's not because he's an incapable teacher. So he doesn't say it's hard to teach because I'm not super good at articulation. I'm not super good at laying out what I'm thinking. No, the, the issue is not in the teacher or in the content. He says, I have more I want to teach you, but it's difficult to teach because of the audience. He says, those who are hearing it have become dull of hearing. Or that word, that word here that's translated dull of hearing, those words could be translated sluggish in the ears. You become dull of hearing, slow to learn, your translation might say. He says, the issue and the reason why it's difficult for you to comprehend some of these things is because you've become sluggish in the ears sluggish in the ears. And it's why, as we've studied Hebrews, if you've been with us through the entirety of the series, it's why again and again, we'll hear the writer say, pay careful attention, right? Or he'll say, consider Jesus, or be fearful, or look to yourself, and make sure that you don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away, right? This idea of a dullness of hearing or a spiritual apathy This idea of a dullness of hearing is something he's been warning us about all along. And now he finally states it in an open way. He said, take care. He said, be careful. He said, pay close attention. Now he has said, you have a dullness of hearing. It's very similar to what Jesus talks about, right? When explaining the parables, Jesus will say in Matthew 13, uh, talking about the parables, Jesus says this, quoting from Isaiah. He says, for the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus says these people have grown sluggish of hearing. They've grown slow of hearing. Their eyes are closed, their ears are plugged up, their hearts have become hardened, and as a result, there is no action. 
Right? Jesus says, if they were hearing correctly and seeing correctly, if the soil of their heart was turned up, then action would be produced. He says, then they would turn and be transformed. But the problem is, because they're slow to see, slow to hear, slow to perceive, there is no transformation occurring. He says in Luke 8, in the equivalent of the Matthew 13 passage in Luke 8, he says in verse 18, take care then how you hear. Right? Be careful how you hear, he says. It matters. Take care how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. It matters to God. It matters to the Lord Jesus. It matters to the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, how we listen. And he says, I've got a lot I'd like to say, but it's difficult to teach because you have become dull of hearing. Note also the word become in that sentence in verse 11. He doesn't say you simply are. It's not by nature of who you are or just sort of a mental incapacity you have. He doesn't say you were just created slow-witted or dull of hearing. It's not just something intrinsic about who you are as people. He says this is something that has happened. It's something you've become over time. There's a progression that has resulted in dullness of hearing. It's not who you were meant to be. It's not who you have to be. It's something you've become. That's the drift he's talking about so often in the text. Be careful. Pay attention. Fix your eyes on Jesus so that you don't become spiritually lazy, spiritually apathetic. He says, I've got things I want to share, but I can't. What he's pointing out here, I think we all sort of get the idea. I hope that you come into a place like this on Sunday with a high expectation for me, right? I hope that when you come in to a worship service like this one on a Sunday morning, that you expect me to have been in God's word this week, meditating upon his word, studying his word, listening to his spirit, responsive to the movement of God, so that when I get up here on a Sunday morning, I'm not just bringing my opinions, right? I'm not just bringing some jokes. I'm not just here to be a stand-up comedian. That by the time I stand in this position, I hope that your expectation is that I have done my due diligence during the week to bring the very word of God before his people. I hope you have that expectation. But what some people miss is that there is a responsibility both for the teacher and for the listener. You see, I think probably a lot of you have an expectation for me. You expect me to keep it to 35 minutes. You expect it to be at least slightly humorous, right? Whatever. But I think people come into the place having completely neglected and sort of ignored the fact that there is a responsibility for us as well who are listening. When I come to God's word to study it on my own, or when I sit under the teaching of someone else at a Bible study, or when I listen to a sermon podcast during the week, as a listener, I have a responsibility to come to it with discernment. I have a responsibility to come to it prepared to act on what I hear. I have a responsibility as a listener to take meticulous notes and to process and to think and to pray over what God has said through his word and to respond to it. There is an obligation and a responsibility both for the teacher and for the hearer. And I think sometimes that gets neglected. I think people come into a room like this one or they come to a Bible study, they open God's word and they just go, hey, gimme, gimme, gimme. Right, I just want to. I just want to get. I just want to get. Give me what I can have, and that's what he talks about here in Hebrews chapter five. He says in verse eleven, "About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you become dull of hearing." Verse twelve: For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. 
He says, look, in this trajectory of being listeners, being attentive to the word of God, you should already be in a place where you could teach someone else. One of the things I love about the OC United video we saw earlier is, is Bob's testimony, right? Some of you know him, incredible man. But haven't you felt like that as well? When you're driving down the road, if you've driven past Angel Stadium and you see that encampment, he says, I drove past and I saw all the homelessness and I saw these people living in tents and I felt angry. I felt angry because there were these people who were hurting and I thought, why doesn't our culture, our city do something about this? And then I thought, he says, what would Jesus do? He'd go down there and he'd see what he could do to care for the needs of those people. He let his understanding translate into action and it moved him to a place where now he's committed to be walking in a mental relationship for the next year with people who are hurting, for people who are impoverished, people who are jobless and homeless. I love the fact that there are people from our church and from other churches in this community who've said, we don't just want to look at a problem and recognize there's a problem, we want to do something about it. But so often what happens is we just, we just want somebody else to feed us. He says, there are many of you who should be teachers. And understand, he's not talking about people who do this thing I'm doing, right? Not everybody's going to be a preacher. Not all of you have the spiritual gift of teaching and preaching, but it doesn't matter what your spiritual gifts are. You can have the spiritual gift of prayer, the spiritual gift of hospitality, or the spiritual gift of generosity. Regardless of your gifting, we are all called to be ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. All of us are called to carry the truth that God is not holding men's sins against them, but through Christ and his death and resurrection, that he has extended to all mankind resurrection life and reconciliation. The chosen delivery method for that particular message is you and I. We all are teachers in our own way. It's not always going to be a platform like this. Sometimes it's going to be across a coffee table. Sometimes it's going to be standing in the line at work, working on the same machine. Sometimes it's going to be in a classroom. Sometimes it's going to be while you're walking your neighborhood, interacting with the people that you meet. He says, some of you should be teachers, but you're not. Why? Because you still need somebody else to teach you The fundamental truth, when he says here in verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, that that idea, the basic principles of the oracles of God is essentially equivalent to the ABCs of faith, right? The things you learn in spiritual kindergarten. You need someone to say those things to you over and over again. Even though you should be teachers, you just want to come in and hear the ABCs over and over and over again. Why? Because they don't require anything of you, right? He says you should be teachers, but you need someone to repeat the fundamentals. Look at what he says here again. He says you need milk, not solid food. Verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Yikes, right? He goes, look, I got a lot I want to say to you, but I can't say it to you because you're dull of hearing. Even though you should already be teachers, you're content, spiritual apathetic, right? You're satisfied to just have me repeat to you again and again the milk of God's word, the basic ABCs of spiritual truth. And he says you need those because you have not been trained or you have not been skilled in the word of righteousness. You need the milk. Why do you need the milk? Because you're living on milk, he says, right? That's how you're surviving. You're surviving on a diet of milk. The picture is of people who are full grown who just continue to drink from a bottle, right? People who are full grown who just continue to nourish themselves with the basic building blocks. And he says, look, I'd love to give you solid food, but you can't eat solid food. You need milk 
Because you have not been skilled in the word of righteousness. This idea of being skilled in the word of righteousness has both a theological connotation and a practical connotation. On one hand, it is sort of a mental acknowledgement and understanding of the word of righteousness. The fact that Jesus came and he imparts his righteousness onto us. That it's not by works of righteousness which we have done that we are saved, but according to his mercy he saves us. There is a piece in which we want to understand how righteousness works. That the righteousness or the justice we bring to bear in our world is only in response to his righteousness. That's the theological idea. But the idea here of being skilled in the word of righteousness goes a little bit deeper because it isn't just about knowing certain facts or being able to win at Bible trivia. The idea of being skilled in the word of righteousness is that you have applied it, that you've put it into practice. And he says, I'd love to give you solid food, but I have to give you milk. Why? Because you need milk. Why? Because you have not been skilled in the word of righteousness and you're a child. Does it, does it feel like he's being provocative here? Does it feel like he's taking a little bit of a jab? Well, that's exactly what he's doing. He's intentionally provoking the audience here in, in 13, these readers. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. What's he doing? He's saying, you're babies. You're spiritual babies. You basically have been satisfied to just sort of coast through life. We, I think we all kind of understand that there's a bit of a problem in our world with sort of arrested development or like prolonged adolescence. Have you heard those words, right? Like my grandfather, I think my grandparents got married when they were 14. They were in Oklahoma, right? They got married when they were like 14. I'm not saying that's okay. But they got married when they were 14 and they immediately went to work on the farm, right? And they grew up fast. They were grown at 15 or 13 or whatever, we have people in our world today who are twice my grandparents' age when they, when they became adults, essentially. We have people who are twice my grandparents' age who are still kind of living in their parents' basements, playing Xbox all day. And if you go, hey, what are you going to do with your life? They go, well, this seems pretty good, right? I'm pretty satisfied to just sort of hang out here and kind of float along in my parents' basement until they boot me out. And then I'll find some other basement to play Xbox in. But we have this sense of people who aren't growing up. There are people who've sort of decided, like, why should I? Why would I? And the same thing happens in the church. He says, I'd love to give you spiritual food, solid food, but you can't receive it because you're a baby. He wants the audience to go, we're not babies. I am not a, don't you call me a baby. That's not true. I'm a grown-up, right? You ever have that thing happen in your car? If you've got kids, I'm sure you've heard that conversation, right? The conversation where the older kid calls the younger kid a baby. Is that just something that happens in my family, Right? turns into a fight. I had, this, uh, I had this funny thing happen with my daughter a couple of weeks ago where, you know, she's in seventh grade and she's growing up and I'm feeling nostalgic. And I was like, I cannot believe you're so beautiful. And I said, you're just growing up so fast. Like, I can't believe this is daddy's little girl. And she goes, dad, I'm not a little girl. And I was like, well, you're my little girl. And she goes, I am not little. I am grown. You know, and I was like, well, I mean, so what's the, de- what's the end of it? Like, would you rather me call you daddy's big girl and she goes that's worse you know and so then now when I drop her off at school like I I take her to school and I drop her off I'm like bye sweetheart I hope daddy's big girl has a great day she's like don't right because it's not necessarily better but from the time we're little we look at our older brothers we look at people who are grown and we think that's who I want to be that's who I aspire to be so it's crazy 
that inside the church and, and to the audience that the initial writer is writing to here, but also in the room today, we've got people who are just absolutely content and satisfied to remain spiritual babies. And they come into a place like this and they just expect to be given spiritual milk. They don't want anything confrontational. They don't want anything they have to actually do something with. They don't want anything they have to process. And I'll tell you, this problem of arrested development or this problem of spiritual infancy in the church is, is not just the listener's fault. It's also the church's responsibility. Because churches in our country have become so fixed on just trying to fill the seats. And I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to fill the seats with spiritual milk than it is with spiritual solid food. We've got churches that are all based on, hey, come in here. We're going to make you feel good. It's like, have you ever tried to feed a baby, right? And you just go, it's going to be fun. Here comes the choo-choo train. Yeah, here he comes. Choo-choo-choo-choo-choo. And there are churches that are built like that. We want you to feel good. We want you to be comfortable. We never want you to have to think. And we don't want to ask anything of you. And we're not going to make any demands. And we're not going to, there's never going to be a spirit of conviction or a spirit of heaviness. There's never going to be a sense in which you have to repent and turn. Just come here and we're going to warm you up with a nice little bowl of milk. People flood into churches like that because it's just easy and comfortable and satisfying. People who are satisfied to remain spiritually infants. He says, I'd like to give you solid food, but I can't. I have to give you milk because you need milk because you're children. He says, verse 14, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see, I think the temptation for us, if you're here this morning and you go, well, I'm not a baby, I'm a grown-up, and you know, if I am a little bit spiritual, immature, well, you know, give me the salt, I can take the solid food, just give it to me, right? I want it. Just give it to me and I'll give it to you. The, the author here says, no, no, I can't just give you solid food, because you, you, you wouldn't be able to process. It's kind of like, just because a baby who's sitting in a high chair points at an enchilada and says, me, Right? You don't, you don't give the baby the enchilada. That's terrible parenting, right? Because the baby's guts aren't prepared and ready to deal with the enchilada. You have to look at the baby and go, no, you're not ready for that. But there's a day coming when you will rock an enchilada, right? I think sometimes there's a tendency for us as Christians, as Christians to look at this and go, I, I can take the spiritual meat. I can take the solid food. Just give it to me. Give it to me. I'll take it. I'll just, you know, if I don't get it, I'll just go on the internet and I'll figure it out or I'll buy a book or whatever. He says, no, 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 you can't just jump from milk to solid food. You can't just decide arbitrarily to take solid food. You have to be mature. And the only way to be mature, look at verse 14, the only way to be mature is to be trained, to have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. What's it saying? It's saying that there is a call for us to not just be drinking milk, to not just be living on milk, but to put that milk into practice, to use that, to exercise it, to work. You know, it's interesting. Imagine like signing up for a gym, right? We got all these gyms around here, 24-hour fitness, and there's a bunch of different ones. Can you imagine walking into a gym and uh, you meet the owner and you say, well, I'm thinking about becoming a member here. I want to take a look at all the gear you've got, right? Show me all, okay, you've got elliptical machines, you got treadmills, that's awesome. You got uh, exercise bikes, I love all of this. So state of the art, you got free weights, you got a swimming pool. You got, yeah, yeah, this is, you got all the gear, right? You got everything I want to see in a gym. Here's my membership, I'm signing up, right? So you sign up for a membership on the basis of the fact that they have all the state of the art equipment, right? 
And then what, a couple times a month, you bring your friends in and you go, hey, I want you to come to this, this gym. I'm a member at this gym. I pay monthly. I'm like in around here. I want to show you the exercise bikes and I want to show you the elliptical machine. We've got a swimming pool. We've got free weights. Look at this awesome gym I'm a part of, right? But you never get on the exercise bike, right? You never get on the elliptical. You never swim in the pool. You don't actually utilize any of those things. You're just happy they're there. You're excited to be part of a club that has all these resources available, but you never utilize them. Can I tell you that's exactly what the church is like so often? People go, oh, I'm glad to be in a church where they preach the Bible. Amen, right? I'm so glad to be in a church that cares about the lost. I'm so glad to be part of a ministry that cares about OC United and cares about homelessness. I'm so happy about all the children's ministry and all the Bible studies and all the, we got all this stuff, right? And you sit across the coffee table from people and you go, let me tell you about all the things my church has available, but you never get in any of them. You never do any of them. You're just happy to be in a place where they're happening. Well, it is no wonder then that you're a spiritual baby. And you can be frustrated about being called that. You know, I'm not, but you're not ready to go to milk because you haven't even put the milk, you're not ready to go to solid food because you haven't even put the milk into practice. It's incredible to me how often I talk to people who will come up to me after a message about love or reconciliation or forgiveness and they'll go, oh, pastor, that was a great sermon. Also, do you have a couple of minutes where I could talk to you about someone who's wronged me? You know, and I need your help to, re- I need you to get, pull them aside and set them straight, you know? Pastor, I really love that sermon, but I gotta tell you, I'm not coming back to this church until this guy apologizes to me or whatever. And I'm like, did you hear a, did you hear a word of that? Did you hear a word of the message I just preached? You see, so often we're satisfied to be dull of hearing. We want the milk, but we don't want to put it into practice. You want to grow spiritually? Are you someone here this morning who would say, I don't want to be a spiritual baby. I'm not content to be in arrested development. I don't want to be someone who's trapped in spiritual infancy. I want to be someone who can digest the meat of God's word. Well, the key is, first, you've got to put the milk into practice. It's amazing to me how many people will go, uh, I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, one of these days, I may start to give a little bit in the offering, right? Or I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years, and I'm thinking, maybe I'm going to serve in the Sunday school. Or I've been walking with, with Jesus for 40 years, and I'm thinking, maybe I'm going to start making a sacrifice. It's like, don't tell me how long you've been part of a gym that has all kinds of great equipment, right? The, the gym owner doesn't want you to come to the gym because he's got great gear. He wants you to grow your muscles, right? I'm, I'm not the gym owner around here. The Lord Jesus is. But we don't come to this place because there's all kinds of great stuff afforded to us. We come because it is a place for us to exercise the milk of his word and to grow into maturity. He looks at the, the audience here and he says, I can't give you anything but milk because you live on milk. You're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant use. You want to grow spiritually? Start with the little things. You know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I can't really put any of this into practice because I'm no Billy Graham. I'm no Mother Teresa. I'm not one of these like spiritual giants. Listen, we're not talking about jumping all the way to being a spiritual giant. Just serve your neighbor. Just care for the people who are hurting around you. We're not talking about, you know, giving all of your money to the church. We're talking about making some kind of sacrifice. That's a place to begin. Don't just be someone who takes and takes 
I think sometimes we think about the Christian life as a place to just sort of receive, but we're not called to just be containers for the love of God. We're called to be conduits for the love of God. We come into this place and we get filled up, right? We sang a song earlier, right? I want more of you. I want more of you. And sometimes we think about our worship as just a place to get our tanks filled up, right? Come in here and God, remind me of how valuable I am and remind me that I'm your son or your daughter. Remind me that you love me, that you forgive me, that your grace is for me. God, remind me of all those things. I just want to get filled up with it. And we think that's the end of the process. Listen, this isn't a place to just come and get your tanks filled up. None of us were called to be containers for the grace of God, to be containers for the love of God, to be containers for the knowledge of God. We've always been called to be conduits for those things, that we get filled up and then it overflows out of us into the lives of those around us, our family and our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. We're meant to be a conduit that the love of God, the grace of God would pour into us and pour out. You want to grow spiritually, start to put the milk of his word into practice. But there's a danger here too, and it's, it's, it's talked about in the text. There's a danger for you this morning to go, all right, what's the pastor saying? He's saying, uh, I need to do some spiritual stuff, right? Okay, so what, I need to put money in the offering plate? Fine, I'll put some money in the offering plate, right? Good job, pastor, you made me feel guilty enough. There's some money. No, 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 right? Oh, what, I gotta, I gotta be an usher? I gotta work in the parking lot? I gotta go and be a mentor at OC United? Okay, fine, I did, I'm gonna go do it. Listen, if you just do spiritual things because you feel guilty, or because you feel ashamed, or because you want to grow up spiritually, if you just do spiritual things, you will eventually stop doing them, right? If you do spiritual activities because somebody told you to, or because somebody shamed you into it, or made you feel guilty or intimidated, somebody provoked you into spiritual activity, you will ultimately quit doing those things, and we've all done that, right? You come around the corner into January 1st, and you go, I'm going to exercise every day. And you do that for a couple of weeks. I mean, I'm just talking about me, right? We've all started and then stopped. Why? Because we didn't, we didn't actually do it in the right order. Look at what it says very closely in 14. It's the solid food is for the mature, those who have what? Their powers of discernment. That's not about action. That's about understanding. It's about wisdom. It says solid food is for the mature, those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So before you go and do anything, before you put money in an offering plate, before you serve in the nursery, before you go and work at OC United, you have to stop and have your intellect, your wisdom, your heart knowledge perceiving the difference between good and bad. If you truly understand what's good and what's bad, what's righteous and what's unrighteous, what glorifies God and what glorifies self, if you can discern through constant use and practice, if you can be trained in discernment through constant use and practice, then make decisions about what to do. Based on that discernment, you will keep doing them. We don't just give because somebody made us feel bad. We give, bad, we give because we recognize discerning that giving back to God only makes sense because he's worthy. We don't serve because somebody made us feel guilty. We serve because we recognize that God gave us life and breath and everything we have should be utilized for his sake. That he demonstrates to us what it means to be a servant and we should replicate that. When you discern it, when you see the difference between good and evil, then you put it into practice. Here's the process that's described in, in, in Hebrews chapter five. It's drink the milk, then discern, and then do. Drink, discern, and do. Sometimes we want to skip that middle step. We just want to drink the milk and then do the thing. We just want to come into church and have the pastor say, uh, give up all your cigarettes, right? And then we will, because he said so, for a little while. 
But that's not the key. It's not about just doing moral activity. It's about being trained by the milk of the word to discern the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness and then to put that discernment into practice. To put that discernment into practice. To live it out. What does that then result in? That results in being skilled, both knowledge-wise and practically skilled in the word of righteousness. A theological understanding of the righteousness of Christ imparted to us and a practical understanding of the righteousness of Christ worked out of us. Drink, discern, and do. He says, man, there's a lot of things I'd like to tell you about Melchizedek. There's lots of things I'd like to lay out for you about Jesus, but it's hard to teach because you become dull of hearing, because you're satisfied with spiritual immaturity, because you're satisfied with the place you're at. I love the fact that Paul, the Apostle Paul himself in Philippians chapter 3 says this. He says, not that I've already obtained this. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He goes, ah, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm striving after the thing for which God took hold of me, right? Ephesians talks about the fact that we're all called to grow up into the head, which is Christ Jesus, that we're supposed to grow up into mature manhood or womanhood, that we wouldn't be satisfied with where they're at. The other thing I like about the, uh, the OC United video, and I'll, I'll finish here. The other thing I like about the OC United video when I watch it this week is I love the faces of all the people who are getting the training. Isn't that so cool? Like there's all these people who you can just see the spark. They're like, yes, they've committed themselves to eight weeks, four hours a week of training to prepare them for ongoing work, to prepare them for employment. But they've also committed to a year of mentorship, right? And you see the faces of those people. Those are people who say, I'm not satisfied with where I am. I want more. I want to be different. I want to grow. I want to change. And so they've committed themselves to the program. I love the faces of the people in that video. It's interesting though, when you talk to, especially Christians, when I talk to Christians, uh, particularly Christians who haven't interacted with a lot of homeless people, um, sometimes they say things like this, well, yeah, a program like that's good, but most homeless people, they want to be homeless, right? They're out there because they like begging, they like not having to work, they like just being able to live wherever they want, throw their garbage, they don't, they don't want to change. Can I tell you that having worked with homeless people, that is not typically my experience. There are a few like that who are satisfied in the situation they're in. But most of the people that I meet who are unemployed or underemployed, people who are living in tents, people who are living under bridges, those are people who desperately want to do whatever they can to get out of that circumstance. No, the place where I see a lack of desire to change is not in the homeless encampments. The place where I see a lack of desire to change is in the church. That mentality is more prevalent here than it's ever been under the bridges. No, here we have people who go, ah, come on, just give me the milk again. I like the milk. I like the ABCs because I already have them memorized. They don't ask anything of me. No, the OC United Jobs for Life program, you've got these people that say, look, I know it's going to take work. I know it's going to take like time and effort, but I don't want to stay where I am. Is that you this morning? Are you somebody who says, look, I know it's going to take exercise. I know it's going to take drinking the milk and discerning right from wrong and then doing the thing that the Spirit of God prompts me to do. I know it's going to take flexing those spiritual muscles, not just looking at the exercise bike, but actually getting on the exercise bike. I know it's going to take work, but I'll do whatever it takes because I don't want to be a spiritual baby. I'm not satisfied with spiritual infancy. I want to grow into the man or the woman that God has created me to be. Can I tell you this morning, church, I'd rather have a church of 20 people who are growing spiritually than a church of 5,000 babies. 
I'm not interested in, in warming up a bottle for you. And you shouldn't be satisfied with that either. Let's all of us, let's all of us be committed to putting that milk into practice as we understand the discernment of God, putting the milk into practice that by it we will grow up and be able and capable to digest the deeper things of our faith. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would move in us, that we would look at a warning, a rebuke like this in Hebrews chapter five, and we wouldn't just see it as something that the people, uh, that the author was writing to needed, but that we would absolutely hear this warning to us, that we don't want to become dull of hearing or sluggish in the ears, but that we want to be people who absolutely take the milk you give us, turn it into muscle, and grow up into people who absolutely are mature and ready and prepared for the meat of your word, for the spiritual solid food, who have been skilled in the word of righteousness, and who are trained through constant use in discerning the difference between good and evil. Help us to be those who are never content with where we are, but are always hungry for who you would have us to be. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.